0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. All right, well, I'm excited about this uh, series for a lot of reasons. I think uh, it's important for us to remember what things are really about. Um, Sin is not creative. You know that, right? It doesn't create things. Sin perverts things that are created. And so when you see something that is perverted, that means that Sin has come in and perverted that. And there's so many things in all of God's good creation that the enemy has come in and perverted that. Our sin has perverted. And one of those things, if you will, I, I, I believe we, we, we've, we swim in this day in and day out, is this Christmas season. Um, it has become something completely different. For 1900 years, the church has celebrated this season in a very, very different way. It's only in the last 50 years that um, it's become something completely different. Advent was a, a, a season on the church calendar, uh, and Advent means uh, the coming, or the, uh, it means the coming in Latin, but it's a celebration of the first coming, but it's a longing for the second coming, and what it has become now is a, a just a birthday party for Jesus, right, uh, at where we get gifts. So it's, it's kind of a backwards birthday party um, uh, where we fill our consumeristic needs and then say, thank you, Jesus. Um, and, and so Advent has become something completely different. In, 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 for the last 1,900 years, Advent had been celebrated um, through kind of prayer fasting the lighting of candles giving and generosity it was those kinds of things that marked these this season and, and now it's become a, a completely different they would celebrate not just the birth of Jesus the birth of Jesus the first advent was a was a celebration if you will or a remembrance that he is coming again so there was something that has been has gone really wrong with the way we celebrate this time. And I think it's important for us to join with the saints of all church history and for us to link arms with our brothers and sisters throughout history and to celebrate this time with the purity in which it was designed to be celebrated. So I, I put these questions up on the screen, and I, I've I've been reading them as I as every week that I've been teaching this because I want us, if you will, to ask this: What if this Christmas we did something different? What if this Christmas we celebrated humbly rather than extravagantly? What if this Christmas we cared more about giving rather than receiving? And what if this Christmas we remember Jesus' birth to make us long for His return? What if this Christmas we did things that made us long for the new earth rather than continue to try to find fulfillment in this present age? Church, I I, I had the, the, the blessing of talking to some of you who have taken this challenge really seriously. In that last service, a brother began to explain how he never thought his children... Uh, would be willing to, to cut back on their gifts to be able to give more generously. And when he heard that challenge, he got in the car after a service and his kids told him that they didn't want any gifts and they wanted to give all of their gifts away this year. I think there's a purity in teaching our families that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What an uh, an amazing thing as we've been challenging not to not have any gifts, but to spend less and to give more. This Wednesday, we're going to be taking an offering, and and throughout this month, we've been challenging people to give in that offering. um, And we're going to be giving towards ministries outside of ourselves in a way that is... Uh, calling us as a church to say, let us spend less and give more. We're going to be giving to our children in their hands as they bring in an offering that could have been a gift for them, but instead they're going to be giving that money away. And to see the excitement on my children's faces as they prepare to give is amazing. It's a blessing. You know, one of the things that causes us to, to waver in this time, I was being interviewed this week by... Uh, Phoenix Magazine, and they asked me an interesting question. They said, what is the biggest challenge that um, Christians face today, in your opinion? Obviously, I'm just one opinion. I don't speak for all Christians, obviously. But I think it's the the same challenge that Christianity has faced throughout all, all generations. I don't think we're unique in this way. I think false teaching is the biggest challenge that Christians face. And here's the reason why. False teaching, as the apostles would fight against over and over in the, in the scriptures. Fight against this false teaching. False teaching leads to false hope and false expectation. Let me explain. When false teaching invades the church, people begin to expect something other than the truth of the gospel. And then when they get the gospel, it's a disappointment to them. So when they believe that the gospel is about your prosperity, your health, your wealth, your prosperity, when they believe that and they get Jesus, they think they got ripped off. Why? Because false teaching leads to false hope and false expectation, which makes us disappointed with the truth of the gospel. And church, that's what happens. That's what happens when a church is invaded with false teaching. They believe a totally different story. And and so what we have to understand is much of what has to do with Christmas and, and what has to do with this time of celebration, because we've heard false stories, we get disappointed. Let me, let me give you a, a kind of a rundown if you will, and, and hopefully we can follow along i'll go quick here's, here's the story of the Bible. First, it starts with God comes and creates the arrow's pointing down. Creation is this great declaration that God comes and heaven and earth are overlapped with one another, and there's this perfect union between heaven and earth it's not heaven here and earth here it's perfect union. God is walking with his people he 's talking with them, and creation is this. Perfect shalom of heaven and earth falling. Then the next, the next thing is, is the fall. It's, a, it's the symbol of an X. You could draw this on a napkin if you're trying to explain the gospel to somebody. And, and, and the fall is man's rebellion against God's rule and reign. And, and, and they, they said, no, I don't want you to rule the world. I want to be the one who rules. I don't want to be like God. I want to be my own God. It's a Rebellion against God. So, because of that, heaven and earth were separated. Uh, You see this separation take place. Man was kicked out of the garden, and, and then you see this separation. Now, the next question is what's next? What's next? Well, there was a Jewish expectation all throughout the uh, Old Testament, and the Jewish expectation was that restoration was going to come. You see the arrow pointing down, restoration, that the kingdom would come, that heaven would come to earth once again, and all things would be restored, and God would overthrow this government, and everything would be destroyed, and once again, God would establish His city. Jerusalem would be that place of government, and And the world would be back in Shalom. And the government of God would be upon the Messiah. And everything would be restored. Now, that's not in and of itself a false a a false expectation but they were missing a piece of the puzzle that was prophesied all throughout the old testament that restoration is shown in scripture but there is a piece in which caused them to miss the coming of jesus and 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 that is the next slide shows that redemption needed to take place first that christ had to come the king had to come humbly in a as a baby he came into this world he lived the life we should have lived he died the death we should have died. He paid our price and when he rose again the kingdom was inaugurated. He keeps talking about the kingdom has come and and the kingdom is near and we've been talking about this throughout the whole time and he's confronting the kingdoms of this world and he's showing this, this kingdom that is here through Christ and he makes this overlapping of the ages. He makes heaven and earth overlap at the cross where now we as the people of God can fellowship and be one with God through Christ and we have this relationship but but here's here's what here's here's what happens we look back at creation fall and redemption and we we wonder how Jewish uh, expectation how they missed redemption was because they they didn't see that in the prophetic in the prophetic writings even though Christ came and fulfilled all of those things but we can look back and say how did they miss it but but I, I want us to see some dangers in in our in our hearts American expectation is this, creation, fall, redemption, and heaven with the arrow pointing up. Here's what we believe. God hates the world. This is all sinful and broken and everything's falling apart. And God's going to judge it and destroy it and he's going to take us all out of here and everybody else is going to be left behind and we're going to watch them all roast. And we get out of here. With the arrow pointing up, and I want us to leave us there. What does that do when we teach a story that's not consistent with Scripture? What does that do when we teach a very personalized thing and we look out into the world and we demonize this whole world and we look at heaven as this kind of mystical place up in the clouds and that we're getting out of here and this world is going to be destroyed. What does that do? Well, I'll tell you what it did to me as I believed it for a big majority of my life, even though it was plainly stated throughout Scripture. It made me hate this world. I didn't see anything in my life having eternal benefit. I didn't know that my work had eternal benefit. I didn't know that my play had eternal benefit. I didn't know that my life had eternal benefit. And the things that I did here in partnership with God, I didn't see how they benefited. Why? Because all of this world is is going. And I'm getting out of here. Now that was a, hypo, a hypocritical stance because I also believe that a benefit uh, a one that 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 ruins this this is that we secretly don't want Jesus to return when we believe this. If we're all honest, we secretly secretly don't want him to return. Why? Because he's going to ruin something that he's designed us to love. His creation. You see, I I remember praying before I got married to my beautiful wife, Dana, praying that he would not come back. Why? Because I had waited so long. (laughs) He was going to ruin it for me. I could just imagine standing at the altar, looking at her beautiful face. It's coming, baby. We're almost here. And then he comes back and ruins my whole dream. (laughs) Lord, could you just, tarry? could you just Wait. Why? Because we have been given a love for this world and we're taught to, to hate it and we secretly feel bad when we desire things that are a part of this creation. And we think that his, his, his return is actually going to ruin the things that we love so we secretly don't want him returned. So we don't long for Jesus anymore. The third thing is we don't know how to live. When we believe this story, we don't know how to live because we have to ask the question, what is the purpose of being here if it's all just getting destroyed? What's the point? So we live purposeless lives. But let me tell you, I don't want you to leave this next slide up there for a little while. I want you to to look at this next, let's go to the next slide. I want you to look at at how the Bible puts this better hope there. It talks about creation, the fall, redemption, the work of Christ as the apex, the inauguration of his kingdom, and then he promises that he's going to come again. And look, the arrow needs to be pointing down because God so loved the world and he promises, even from the first time where he, where, where in. Instead of destroying the whole world, remember the rainbow that is in the sky and he promises he will never destroy this world again. He will not break his promise. I love how this book that I'm going to read a little bit from at the end, I love how in this child's story it talks about how the archer's bow, the rainbow is pointing towards heaven as a sign that heaven will absorb the judgments so that the earth can be restored. It's a beautiful picture. These kinds of things that we talk about, and I'm going to tell you this. I I spent 29 years in church and I believed all of these stories until I started hearing a better story. A truer story. So I started seeing it woven throughout the whole story of scripture. And in the verses we're going to read today and see that this Jesus, this God loves the world. He created the world and he loves his people. And that this God throughout all of history, even in the face of sin, has promised that he's going to restore all things and make all things new. And that is true. And Jesus, when he came, he came humbly as a, as a child into this world and he, and he showed us his love and his mercy and his grace and he promises he's coming again. He's going to restore all things. The reason why me about to read a couple of verses because I'm going to make this extremely difficult for some of you today. And the reason why it is difficult is because we live post-enlightenment. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Enlightenment was the time where a generation just started to believe that they're smarter than everybody else because they had something called science. And and, and science can be good, believe me. It can be good. It has good benefits. But once post-enlightenment started coming take place and we started having more faith in science and sight and everything that is true we thought was rooted in sight rather than faith as the Bible shows us faith is rooted in God's word matter of fact we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, science is incomplete. Although it has benefits, hear me, I'm not demonizing science. Although it has benefits, science is only able to observe what already is. That's all it's able to do. It's only able to look at what is, and it's only able to show you the progression and the decline of what it will become. Because if you look at science, there's this constant erosion of the world that we're living in they're talking about how all of this is falling apart science is able to predict predict the downfall of this world it shows its erosion but here's what science can't do science cannot give something purpose it never tells what it what it's for and science also cannot give something hope. It can't tell you what it will become under the rule and reign of God. So in this post-enlightenment where we've made everything about sight, we've almost lost, if you will, we, I, I think there's slivers of it in places, but we've lost something that is extremely beautiful, and that is hope or, or, or imagining what it will be like when Christ returns. Because why? Because we can't see it. Matter of fact, we're so rooted in the things that we see when God begins to talk about how it will be, it almost sounds like fantasy. So this sermon or these verses that I'm about to read is going to require a redemptive imagination, if you will an imagination that's rooted in God's word, an imagination of what things will be like, an an imagination of those things. This week, something tragic happened in in our family. A close family friend passed away. Some of you may know him. He's been in the church for a little while as he was here struggling with cancer. Doug and his wife, Bia, the close family friend passed away. And there's something Tragic about those moments, and then there's another thing that takes place in those moments. Ecclesiastes seven two says this, it's better to spend time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Ecclesiastes gives us a different way of viewing funerals. Matter of fact, he says, it's a better time to be at a funeral than it is to be at a party. Why? Because at parties, we are in drench. We are... We are falling into this idea that this life is what it is. It's, it's eternal. It's an ending. We feel invincible, but at a funeral, we're reminded of eternity. I've never been to a funeral, even to somebody who did not believe in God. I've never been to a funeral where the people get up there and say, that person is in hell, ever. No matter the life, the fruit of their life, it doesn't matter. Everybody gets there and paints a picture of a heaven that they're in. And no matter what that person or how they lived, they're in that heaven. Why? Because at funerals, we're forced to imagine and dream. If I was to ask you, what does this heaven look like? All of us would come up with pictures, but I'm going to put those pictures into three categories and then we're going to read a portion of Revelation 21 and a portion of Revelation 22. We're going to do a lot of reading and I want you to to learn to listen to reading of Scripture and commentary. But if I was to ask you what heaven looks like, some of us would come up with a kingdom, if we put that up on the screen, minus the king. So so basically, the heaven that we paint is, there's no more sorrow, there's no more tears, all of sickness is gone, and the world is restored, and everything is made new, and there's this this perfect little kind of cloud, this bubble, maybe we're floating around like naked cherubs, whatever it is, you paint this picture of this perfection, whatever that perfection is to you. Even some music, hip-hop, has been... This kind of thug's mansion, this idea of what their heaven will look like. But the interesting thing is in music, in art, in all of these things, there is this kingdom minus a king. It's a physical restoration, give or take Jesus. If if Jesus is there, great. If he's not, who cares? A lot of people want a good place, but they don't care if Jesus is there or not. That's not a complete gospel. There's also one that's incomplete and that's where one that they go, it's all about just kind of singing songs and being at the throne and we just sit around and sing. And they paint this picture of us just focusing on Jesus, which, which I'm telling you, this worship is far greater than just singing songs, although there will be singing and laughter and all these kind of clapping and yeah, for sure. But they kind of paint this place of just this worship service that we're going to be for eternity just sitting in rows and singing. And bowing and kneeling. And they have this king, but they X out his kingdom, minus his kingdom. And what they have is a a spiritual only gospel. They don't have a grasp that this king has a kingdom that he's restoring. What we need to see in 21 and 22 of Revelations is this holistic gospel. That the king plus his kingdom is the gospel that is preached. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you... So however you listen best, if you need to follow along or maybe you want to close your eyes and listen, I'm just going to read and then I'm going to ask Deb to come real quick and we're going to do a lot of reading, probably 15 minutes of reading and then we're going to go into time of just singing and worshiping. I'm going to read part of Revelations 21, I'm going to read part of Revelations 22 and then Deb is going to read commentary from from, um, McLaren Exposition. Of the Holy Scriptures. She's going to read a part of a commentary, a big chunk of it on Revelations 22, and then I'm going to read another section. And here's what I want you to, here's what I'm asking the Lord for you is that the Lord will give you redeemed imagination, that you will long and hope for what it will be when Christ returns. Look at verse 1 in Revelations chapter 21. You can follow along, you can close your eyes and listen, whatever it is, but I want you to listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city. A new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned with her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he had said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water to of life without Payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and faithless and detestable, as murderers and sexually immoral, and sorcerers and, and idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I encourage you to read on in your own personal study, but let's skip to verse or chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystals, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets and the city also not on either side of the river the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and the Lamb will be it and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more and they will need no lamp for the or the sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and he said to me these words are trustworthy and true and the Lord, the God, the spirit of the prophets has sent his angels to show his servant what must soon take place and behold I am coming soon blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book I am John and the one Who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep these words in the books. Worship God. I'm going to take a moment. I challenge you to read those verses and meditate on them. I'm going to have Deb just read a section of a commentary however you listen best, with your eyes closed, but I want your imagination this morning to be heightened. Let's read.
1: It is like the finale of some great concerto in which the themes that have sounded throughout it are all gathered up in the last majestic, melodious crash. Here, at the farthest point to which mortal eyes are allowed to pierce, the tree of life that the first of mortal eyes had looked on waves its branches again. The end has circled round to the beginning, but now there is no prohibition to pluck and eat. And now it grows, not in a garden, but in a city where the perfection of human society is entered into. Here, on the last page of Scripture, the river the music of whose ripple had been heard by Ezekiel and Zechariah bringing life to everything that it laved, and by the psalmist making glad the city of God flows with a broader, fuller stream, and is fouled by no stains, but is clear as crystal. River and tree have the same epithet and bring the same gift to the citizens, all the blessings which jesus gives are summed up both in john's gospel and in the apocalypse as life the only true life is to live as god's redeemed servants and that life is ours here and now if we are his it is but a stream of the river that gladdens us here the fruit has not yet its full flavor nor abundance It is life, more life for which we pant, and the desire will be satisfied there when the river runs, always full, and every month the fruit hangs ripe and ready to be dropped into happy hands from among the healing leaves. In verses 3 and 4, we pass from the city to the citizens. Perfect purity clothes them all. There shall be no more anything accursed that is, anything unclean, drawing down necessarily the divine curse. And therefore, there shall be no separation, no film of distance between the king and the people, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be therein. The seer has already beheld the Lamb close by the throne of God, but now he sees him sharing it in indissoluble union perfect purity leads to perfect union with god and christ an unbroken glad submission to his regal rule and that perfect submission is the occupation and delight of all the citizens they are his bond servants and their fetters are golden chains of honor and ornament they do him service ministering as priests and all their acts are begun continued and ended in him. Having been faithful over a few things, they are made rulers over many things, and yet are bondservants, though rulers. In that higher service, the weary schism between active and contemplative life is closed up. Mary and Martha end their long variance, and gazing on his face does not hinder active obedience. Nor does doing him service distract from beholding his beauty. His name shall be in their foreheads, conspicuous and unmistakable, no longer faintly traced or often concealed, but flaming on their brows. They are known to be his because their characters are conformed to his. They bear the marks of Jesus in complete and visible assimilation to him the vision closes with an echo of Old Testament prophecy, no night. Perhaps the most blessed of all John's negative descriptions of the future state, indicating the removal forever of all the evil and woe symbolized by darkness, and pointing to a state in which no artificial artifices of ours are needed to brighten our gloom with poor man-made candles, nor any created light, though mighty and resplendent as the sun, whose beams fade into invisibility before the immortal radiance that pours out forever and ever from the throne, brightening every glorified face that is turned to its luster. Thus seeing, serving, and being like God and the Lamb, they as a consequence shall reign forever and ever, for they are as He is, And while he lives and reigns, they also live and reign.
0: Maybe it's hard to understand the commentary or even Revelations 21 and 22, but I got the joy of reading this book to my kids. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. So I'm gonna read part of this and here's my hope today that childlike faith and imagination. Just having conversation with my children about this in this time. You start to feel like this is a fantasy, but the truth of how we're so entrenched in the sin of this world, the culture around us what these scriptures do is show us that this God who created all things, this God who loves and has grace and responded to us in our rebellion with grace and mercy and patience and hope, He has a plan. So I'm going to read this. And I pray that we respond in the only way, just as John says, in worship. Worship God. Worship God. God. So then we're going to end with singing together a song. Taking in communion. We'll give you instructions. But I want you to listen. I see a throne. And on the throne is a king. And the king is Jesus. And all around the throne, people are bowing down. And they're, they're giving him treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls, and everyone bursts out in singing a new song. This is our King, the Lamb who died, so we don't have to. Our Rescuer all honor and glory forever and ever and every creature everywhere in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea joins in and then from all around a wide immense of beautiful silence I see Satan God's horrible enemy thrown down and defeated and I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering and glowing and it's coming down from heaven and from the sky heaven is coming down to earth God's city is beautiful walls of topaz and jasper and sapphire wide streets paved with gold gleaming gates that are never locked shut where is the sun? where is the moon? they're not needed anymore God is all the light people need. No more darkness. No more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away. No more hiding. No more crying. No more being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they are gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped every tear from your eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making everything new. God, I'm praying for us today that hearing things like this evoke in me and us the only response worthy of such a beautiful story, true story, and that is worship. Lord, let us have childlike faith, not fantasy, we're not making some, but faith rooted in your promise that what you said is true, even if what we see doesn't even line up with what we think what your word says god today we find great hope in knowing that all around us everything seems to be falling apart but lord you are going to make all things new and you have given us purpose in partnering with you in this earth and you've given us a longing and a desire and you call for us in these times to celebrate and to cry out to pray, and to seek your face, and to seek your kingdom, and to long for you more than anything. Lord, let us celebrate this time with such hope, and purpose, and anticipation. Church, consider this a call to worship. Let's respond in this song, singing like those who sang with loud voices clapping and and, and crying and, and, and calling out and longing for Him together let's worship church